everyone knows you have to pay taxes, right? Wrong. You don't have to, you're not required to pay tax by law. There's no requirement that you have to pay tax. You only have to pay income tax on income that is taxable. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hey, our sponsor for the show today is Pine Financial Group, the leader in hard money lending in Colorado and Minnesota. And they were recently approved to offer their investment publicly. This investment offers only for investors in Colorado and Minnesota and is only made through their investment prospects. Get your copy today. Simply visit www.pineinvestments.com and click to get started. Look, there's a reason why some of the wealthiest people in history invest in loans backed by real estate. Learn more about the risks and returns at www.pineinvestments.com. Hello, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexhammer. With me today, I'm excited to have Yona Weiss. How are you doing today? I am doing wonderfully, Todd. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I appreciate your podcast. Really, uh, thank you. Powerful. A lot of great content constantly. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. A little bit about Yona. He's a powerhouse with property owners, tax savings, a business director at Madison Specs, a national cost segregation leader. He has assisted clients in saving tens of millions of dollars on taxes through cost segregation. He has a background in teaching and a passion for real estate and helping others. With that said, uh, you know, why don't you give our listeners maybe a little bit more about kind of what you guys do? And, and hey, you got a background in teaching. I want to hear about that too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, a little background. I mean, I, I spent, I grew up in Southern California, um, went to college in San Diego, San Diego State University, and um, spent basically after college uh, and really throughout high school, I was involved with youth and uh, teaching and, uh, you know, private tutoring and involved in that, in that regard. And I actually went on to spend the next about 14, 15 years uh, from the beginning of college, middle of college till after, after that in uh, various teaching roles um, literally various ages from grade school, like all the way up to like post-collegiate level. Uh, And so I'm very passionate about learning. And when I got involved in real estate about five years ago, and it was kind of on a whim, I just, I had a urge to, you know, kind of find something new to do with my time and something new, kind of a new profession, new career, if, if you will. And, you know, I have a bunch of friends who have been involved in real estate for, for years and years. And I uh, happened to run into someone literally, like, while this thought was going through my mind, like that same day. And I'm like, hey, you know, I'm thinking of doing something in real estate. And he's like, hey, that's incredible coincidence. Um, you know, and he was working for a commercial mortgage broker, a national commercial mortgage broker at the time. And he's like, my uncle actually owns a, a small boutique financing firm and he wants me to come work with him would you want to do it together with me and i can show you the ropes and everything and teach you like whoa yeah that's incredible you know i mean i see it as a divine providence just literally just meeting the person on the street exactly at the time when i was thinking about this 
And one thing led to another. I got involved in commercial mortgages and then got my real estate broker's license and just wanted to learn everything there was. And since I have a passion for you know, learning and, uh, and teaching, I'm able to absorb a lot very fast and be able to kind of give it over, which you know, led me from one thing to, the, to another, long story short, to you know, working in cost segregation and becoming you know, Worry Madison Specs, who like you mentioned in the intro, is one of the leading uh, companies in doing this. And my role of being in business development and helping spread the word about cost segregation, which is something that, you know, it's just, it's an educational thing. Most people don't even know what it is. And so that's what I found uh, kind of to, you know, move my passion into that realm and uh, give back a lot. Cool. Cool. Uh, yeah, well, you know, you and I share the teaching in common. I taught for five years in the, in the high school, middle school level. And so, um, always fun to talk to somebody who was kind of in that industry as well. Um, talk to us then about cost segregation, cause you're right. A lot of people don't really completely understand it. Maybe they've heard of it, but they don't completely get it. Um, Give me the kind of the nuts and bolts, ABCs of cost segregation. Let's do it. Okay, so let's break it down. Cost segregation, without getting uh, bogged down by the weird name, um, let's just break it down what it is. So depreciation, let's start there. Because depreciation is one of the greatest tax benefits that real estate investors have. And cost segregation is just like a, you know, augmented form of that, right? It's an accelerated form of depreciation, but let's understand depreciation first because it sounds like a negative thing, right? Depreciation, it's going down in value, right? Which in reality properties, when you own them, is actually going up in value, right? They're appreciating in most cases and you want it to be. So this term that the IRS used to give you this tax deduction, which is basically allows you to write off the entire value of the property that you bought it for. So if you bought a property for $5 million, you're allowed to write off that entire $5 million uh, minus land. Land doesn't depreciate, but whatever that amount is, over the course of, you know, for 39 years for commercial properties or 27 and a half years for residential multifamily fits into the residential category as well. So it means, it doesn't really mean that it's going down in values based on this concept. So let's think of it more like theoretics, okay? Theoretically, things go down in value, right? We know that you drive a car off the lot, it goes down in value, even though intrinsically, there's no difference between the car on this side of the pavement and on that side of the pavement. Right. But since that concept exists, the IRS came up with this rule that allows you to take this tax write-off. So it's incredible. Just gives you um, a way to take a deduction every single year on your taxes to cancel off or offset your income, which you know is incredible. You're making you know hundred thousand um, dollars. Just take off a bunch of that because depreciation. Just you know lower it down to fifty thousand, right? And we'll only tax you on that. That's the gist of what depreciation does. Yeah. So cost segregation is a weird way of saying, let's break down the value of the property, let, right? Let's segregate out or, or compartmentalize 
the property into different categories. And let's break down those costs, the values, into different depreciation lives. So instead of the structure, just the structure of the building, which lumping everything into a 39-year um, you know, boat or whatever that allows you to take that entire property over 39 years is not very beneficial because it's just a little bit every single year. If you have a million-dollar property um, every year, it's like about $20,000 $20, a year for 39 years. It's not a lot. Yep. Right. You can better than nothing, but of course it's better than nothing. It's great. Right. Especially, yep. you know, from coming from nothing. Absolutely. But if you can actually utilize those deductions and front load, uh, you know, a, a large percentage of them to take those deductions at a faster rate and what we call accelerating depreciation, that's what cost irrigation does. So, you know, to break it down further, unless you have a, a question on that. Well, yeah, I just wanted to know. So how do we know, like you, you mentioned categories, maybe we don't have to right. go through all the categories, but how right. do we know, like, what do you mean a category? It's a, it's a house, it's an apartment. Like right. there's no categories. We don't come, uh, we don't have a little, you know, spots here that are worth right. less or like age faster, do we? Right. So we do the IRS actually gave values to these every single little asset and little detail in the property, right? So if you take, uh, you know, uh, let's take a residential property, uh, a house, you'll have the structure and then you have stuff that's inside of the building that's not actually part of the structure. And all of that depreciates on a five year schedule, which means you can depreciate, take that tax deduction like on whatever that value is. is. What is that like my appliances or yeah, exactly appliances, uh, furniture, fixtures of all kinds, the carpeting, you know, stuff, even like window treatments. Okay. Or millwork stuff that you wouldn't even think of, you know, special purpose electric. You have like floodlighting, you have so many different things like the switch on the wall behind you, right? The, the fireplace over there, that wood or the, the cabinetry in the kitchen, all of that stuff, it's not part of the structure. It's really movable. So the IRS treats it as if all of that value depreciates over five years. So the cash is you actually need an engineer, right? Someone who is, you know, a firm like ours, Madison Specs, that we have engineers that are trained in this, trained in the tax code and in construction in order to break down every little detail in the building, give it a value, and then be able to uh, make those calculations to see how much of that we can actually write off. Yeah, I've heard you can go as far as even like taking the screws and the drywall and the, the drywall itself and all that kind of stuff. Is that true? It is true. Yeah, every little tiny detail. And I mean, that's why it's so complex because the engineer literally comes in, takes pictures and takes measurements of everything in the property and comes up with a report that is literally, you know, 80, 90, 100 pages long, um, detailing every tiny asset and making all those calculations based on the industry standard values of all of those tiny details. So, so let's sell me on why, like, why should I do this? Um, I, I want to talk about why I should do it. And then next I want to talk about maybe why I shouldn't do it. Cause there's gotta be reasons why it works well. And there's gotta be other reasons why you'd go, well, maybe it's not the best fit for you. I'm imagining. So tell me, first of all, 
why should I do it? Right, absolutely. So the first thing is, right, when it comes to income tax, right, the IRS gives special treatment to real estate professionals, um, specifically real estate professionals, although everyone can benefit from, um, from this to a certain extent. Now, what that means is when you have, uh, you know, your income, everyone knows you have to pay taxes, right? Wrong. You don't have to, you're not required to pay tax by law. There's no requirement that you have to pay tax. You only have to pay income tax on income that is taxable. So if you have deductions, you have certain write-offs that is bringing down your income or offsetting your income, essentially you get to keep legally all of the money that you're making. And so the real play on cost irrigation is increasing your tax deductions so that you can keep your cash. It's cash flow. And that's king, right? If you have money, you're making $100,000 and then you have to go write a check for $300,000 to the IRS, right? That's no fun. What if you could keep that entire amount, that entire amount that you make, you can keep and reinvest. So the yeah. value of that money is, you know, is bar none. Okay. Um, and so then we're able to, because we can chunk this down instead of this, you know, 27 and a half years or 39 right. years, we're able to break a lot of it down into five year increments. I think there's some 10 year stuff or, or right. di different. Uh, years, right. Yeah. So, so we can break it down and we can write some, basically, instead of having that $20,000 write off, we might be able to have a $40,000 write off. Right. 35, whatever it might be, or maybe even higher. Exactly. Um, that allows us to save on the taxes, but eventually that's going to run out. What if I want to keep the property for 27 and a half years? Does it make sense? Well, yeah. So, you know, this begs on the question, well, why wouldn't you do it right now? A person who has one property and let's say you're just purchasing one building and that's it, okay? You're a one building type of real estate investor. This is your only one investment. You're gonna sit on it forever. It may make sense for you to actually balance out those depreciation deductions over the years, okay? Yeah. But for real estate investors who are actively looking at buying more and scaling up, the cash is really gonna give, give you more power, more buying power to buy more properties. So even if, you know, property A uh, is going to be with you for 27 and a half years, but the, the leveraging the tax deductions from that property to increase your cash flow will allow you to reinvest that to buy another property. Whereas if you didn't have that cash flow, you were paying a big chunk to the IRS, you wouldn't be able to leverage your own money to, to reinvest. And so you'd kind of be stuck at, at waiting off to, to reinvest or, or outsourcing, you know, other capital. Got it. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So we're able to just accelerate our investing. So if we're, if we're buyers, it makes a lot of sense. If we're not buyers, um, if, if we don't need that capital, if we're just going to sit on the property for a long time, maybe, maybe it doesn't make sense. Um, how about certain, are there certain size properties? Like if I buy a, Single family sure. house that's worth $150,000. Does it make sense to cost segger that or does it, does it, you got to get to a certain threshold? Well, my, my rule of thumb is usually like over a million dollar purchase price. 
Okay. It's almost a no-brainer um, at that point because there's such significant tax deductions and mm -hmm. it greatly outweighs, you know, the cost. Whereas, you know, something under a half a million, it almost never makes sense. Meaning it's, there's, it's, it's so, you know, um, I guess riding, riding the edge over there to, to see, am I going to get the benefits? I'm going to pay a little bit. Anything between 500 and a million, I always say it's definitely worthwhile to reach out to a firm like ours to get a free estimate. Because what we do is our engineers have so much experience of done thousands, you know, over 15,000 studies. Um, we can do, we'll make a projection of what the potential tax benefits would be if you did the consultation versus if you didn't. So you can make a pretty educated decision you know, based on my personal situation, is this going to make sense for me or is it not? Um, it. So, yeah, so smaller single family, and it really doesn't have to do with the actual, the unit count per se, more okay. about the purchase price. Because as I mentioned before, what we're doing is we're front loading a certain percentage of deductions. And generally it's between 10 and 30%. Let's say 20%, okay, is the average um, reallocation or accelerating that depreciation. So if you think about just a simple math, if you have a million dollar property, 20% of that um, accelerating to five years, that's $200,000 over the course of five years, that's an extra $40,000 every year. Uh, whereas if it's a $100,000 property, you're talking about $20,000 over five years, you know, you're talking about $4,000 of extra deductions over five years to pay a few thousand dollars yeah. uh, for the study. It usually doesn't uh, economically make sense. Got it. Uh, yeah, that, that makes sense. So 500K to a million, definitely get your, get an estimate. Just see, does it make sense? A million plus, do it. It makes, it just makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are going to be situations where, uh, I'll, I'll give you a couple more examples where it wouldn't make sense, right? Okay. Perfect. When a person, when a person doesn't have any tax liability. Okay. So let's say for example, and this is very common, especially in the multifamily syndication space. A lot of people are investing from their 401ks or their Roth IRA, uh, which is not taxable, right? So investing from those funds is not going to be taxable. So therefore to get those extra depreciations, it's, it doesn't make any sense because you're not benefiting whatsoever. So that's another example where it wouldn't make sense. Um, the traditional IRAs would are subject to, you know, to UBIT tax and to other things. So there, there is still the ability to offset that with those extra depreciations. So if that's mixed in there, it's still, you know, going to be beneficial. And if there's, um, you know, if a person has like way too many deductions, like creating more deductions to just put you more in a negative, you know, a, a, a negative cash flow or, or really it's, you know, a passive loss it's not really going to benefit you. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of, if you're a sponsor, then you should be kind of looking at who your investors are and what the majority of them need to make that decision. Yeah. And just, you know, a, a piece of advice kind of, you know, on that same topic, um, you know, word to the wise, if there are syndicators or people, you know, here listening, oftentimes that is a great, um, you know, tool to use to get investors to invest from their 401ks or something like that. However, there's actually an ability if you do it properly with a proper operating agreement, you can actually restructure the operating agreement. Um, and obviously this has to be done, you know, from, from the get go. 
um, to restructure it in a way that the partnership is different between the investors that are investing from their 401ks versus investors that are investing from regular cash. And in order to allocate the depreciation, you know, the equity um, in the deal to the cash investors, whereas the 401k investors may have a different um, shareholdership in the deal where they're just receiving proceeds. It's a different structure, obviously something to discuss with your attorney, but it does exist. It, you know, so it's good to know about to make sure that you're, you know, utilizing those, uh, those deductions in the right places. Yeah, I mean, that makes a, a lot of sense. And thanks for mentioning that, because I don't think a lot of people think that way. Uh, but if we're able to give the best of both worlds to all our investors, I mean, that's, that's what we want, right? And, <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, so I have a question for you. I, I got a property, it's um, maybe in major distress, it's going to be losing a ton of money year one, maybe year two uh, by plan, maybe even year three by plan. Uh, but we know it's going to be losing money. So we, the deductions, you know, we're still, we're, we're losing money. We're putting a lot of capital into it. Do mm -hmm. I do a cost segregation from the start or do I wait until it's stabilized? Is there benefit either way? Yeah. And that's a great question. It's something that you don't need to do right away um, in the first year of, of uh, ownership. And especially in a case, like I mentioned before, if you're not making money, right? If, if you're not gonna benefit from those deductions, then it's not gonna be beneficial to do it. Now, you don't need to take, do the cost segregation right away. Uh, so you can actually do it retroactively, you know, years down the line, uh, let's say three, four years line, when you see that the property is now um, cash flowing, it is actually making money, that would probably be the best time to, to do the cost segregation. And you can look back, we call it a look back study, but there's no official name for it. Um, what you do is you're just adjusting the way that you're changing the way the method uh, of depreciation. So until Got this it. point, you were depreciating at on a straight line, you know, over that 27 and a half year schedule. What we'll do is without amending any tax returns, because you don't want to do that, uh, there's a form that's, that needs to be filled out, which is an application basically for the change of depreciation. And it's not an application that needs to be reviewed because it's without commission or consent. You can actually just go ahead and do it. Um, filling out this form, and it's called 3115, if anyone wants to look into that, 3115. You can fill that form out. It's a tax form, goes with your tax, and just allows you to change it from depreciating the property over the 27-year schedule versus depreciating it at this more um, broken down, you know, five-year, 15-year, you know, 10-year, 39, all the different categories, which is the cost segregation method. And um, believe it or not, that's actually considered on the name of the tax form. It's called the change of depreciation method. And what we were doing is we're changing it from an impermissible way to a permissible way, meaning cost segregation is actually the correct way to depreciate the property. Interesting. Okay. Anything else that you want to, maybe other negatives or maybe reasons why we shouldn't do cost segregation that you can think um, of? I mean, a few things that, you know, obviously I'm, I'm much more, uh, 
you know, inclined that it's going to benefit you, right? Yeah. But on the short term, for sure, it's going to benefit. On the long term, you obviously have to take a look at your long term tax uh, picture. Yeah. There is something called depreciation recapture tax, which means yeah. when you sell a property, anytime you sell a property, you now have to pay, besides for the capital, long term capital gains tax, uh, you also have to pay a recapture tax, which means you're paying a tax on the amount of depreciation that was taken over the course of ownership. Yeah. And that's usually taxed at a 25% um, level. There, it is a little bit complex of how to do it, but there are a couple ways even around that, um, which means you don't have to be subject to it entirely. Uh, number one, if you do a 1031 exchange, for example, which is not so common in the syndication space, but it is very common in you know regular ownership of real estate. Yeah. You further um, you know defer not only the capital gains tax, but you also defer any of that recapture tax. So yeah. that's a great way to just you know play it down the road. And if you do that until you die, then nobody pays for it. <laughs> exactly, we call it uh, swap till you drop. Right? <laughs> I like that. I like that. I just said defer, defer, die. <laughs> It's a little, it's a little Swap more, you know, less, less morbid, you know? Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Um, okay. So that, that might be something you got to consider if, if you're going to sell and you're probably not going to 1031. We obviously have to be aware of what we're going to pay back. That could be a big yeah. issue. Anything mm -hmm. else? Um, you know, you make sure that you're doing it in the, in the right way, meaning you're doing it in a compliant way. This is taxes. And when, when people hear about taxes, first of all, when people hear about taxes or cost segregation, people automatically assume, uh, this has been my experience, that their accountants are taking care of this for them, uh, right? Um, yeah. Like, oh, this is a tax thing. Yeah, my, I have a great accountant, right? And that may be so, and I, and I hope you do, but they may not be savvy enough yeah. to do cost segregation because guess what? Accountants cannot do cost segregation. You need an engineering firm to actually do it. The large accounting firms out there, right? The big four, they have engineers in-house on staff to do this. Um, so they're doing it in-house. But, you know, anyone who has a smaller accountant, they're not doing it. In most cases, they're not even pushing it. I mean, they're not proactive enough to tell you, hey, you should be doing this. Some are, and I give them, you know, props. I give them a lot of kudos that they are taking that, um, you know, giving their clients that strategy, but a lot aren't. So that's one thing. But if you are going to do it, make sure that you use a firm that is, um, number one, experienced, right? Number two, they have the audit protection, meaning that they will stand behind their work because yeah. there are plenty of people out there that are just kind of doing it by rule of thumb or they're just like, coming up with numbers, you know, and, and pushing out buttons. And, and that's not going to be compliant with all the rules in the cost segregation audit techniques guide. So make sure that you're, you're working and being compliant. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Hey, let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Pine Financial Group. Look, you work hard for your money. Is your money working hard for you? Because of inflation, money sitting idle erodes your wealth. Many investors understand that real estate is a great investment, but may not want the effort or the risk that comes with owning their own property. They want to sit back and have payments, hit their bank account each and every month. Stop eroding your wealth and start building it by asking your money to work for you. You should be earning profits while you sleep in investment backed by real estate. 
Pine Financial Group, the leader in hard money lending in Colorado and Minnesota, was recently approved to offer their investment publicly. This investment offers only for investors in Colorado and Minnesota and is only made through the investment prospectus. Get your copy today. Simply visit www.pineinvestments.com and click to get started. There's a reason why some of the wealthiest people in history invest in loans backed by real estate. Learn more about the risks and returns at www.pineinvestments.com. It's www.pineinvestments.com. Well, good stuff. I want to actually transition because uh, if it's okay, I want to talk about your social media presence. I see you everywhere. And everybody I talk to knows who you are. Um, so tell me about your social media presence and what have you, well, first of all, has it been successful to, in your opinion? Has it helped your business? And then what are you doing maybe special that other people can learn from? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head, Todd. Meaning if you're saying that, you know, everyone you speak to, and I doubt it's everyone, but, you know, enough people right, that right. they know who I am, right? That's what the power of social media has to, you know, to be present, to have a presence. And I think the, you know, the angle that I take and, you know, thank God it has had a very um, tremendously successful um, experience, you know, helping build the business through this uh, social media, which is why I'm doing it, right? I mean, not, that's not the reason why I'm doing it, but that's why I continue to do it because it is, yeah. you know, continuously doing. But the angle that I take is a lot different than what most people take because most people take the angle, you know, what can I get out of it, right? And people are putting out content. They're hoping who's going to see this, right? That, you know, maybe they're going to invest in me. Maybe they're going to buy from me. Maybe they're going to do this. And people are, you know, using social media to like cold call and they're using it to like spam people. I like to call it spam people, but like, yeah, you know, yeah. just putting out sales pitches before creating relationships. Social media is not a shortcut for, you know, creating business relationships. Um, it's not, it is a way to create a personal brand to share your expertise with the world at large. And especially if you can focus on niche kind of groups of people who can benefit from the value you're providing. Yeah. But the angle that I take is really to give, um, you know, as 10 times more than I would ever expect to receive in return. So, you know, whether it's putting out content, whether it's helping people, whether it's, you know, helping push other people's content out, um, you know, getting on as many podcasts as I can to help, you know, push those other people's podcasts. It helps, you know, create a buzz for, for other people. That's really the, ben the, the real benefit that social media has, because again, it's social, right? You, you're bringing your friends, right? Who know you, right? And you're bringing other people into that kind of group and showing, Hey, this, this is a real person, right? Hey, Todd, you know, has an awesome podcast right? You should take a listen, right? There's other great speakers on there, you know, besides, uh, besides me. So that's what, you know, you can do and everyone can do that on their own level. You know, it's not about tooting your horn all the time and bragging and telling about, you know, what you did. There is an element to that, right? For sure. There should be, you can use it in that way, but that should not be the, you know, the main usage of your social media. Yeah. 
Definitely, definitely. And you're very consistent with it. I mean, I think you're, I don't know how many times a day you post or if it's every day or whatever, but I, I, you're consistent with it. You're, you're on social media, you're commenting on other people's posts. Um, like you said, you're trying to add value. And I see people that are, uh, your comments are typically constructive comments, comments mm-hmm. that add value. Other people, a lot of times just want to you know, hop on there and basically promote their stuff. And it's like, that's the most annoying thing I've ever seen. And the worst, uh, you know, I, I think uh, you and I have had some dialogue on social media. The the worst thing where uh, you alluded to this is somebody will connect with you and right away they're like, hey, let's do business together. Uh, I've got this, whatever, and we can help you out. And it's like, Right. It's a weird approach to take when I don't even know who you are. Like I just accepted your response or your friend request or whatever. Right. Um, and, and you approach it much differently, which I, I think is definitely the way to approach it. So I just wanted to hit on that real quick. Cause I think you're very successful at it. Um, like I said, most people, you're right. Probably not everybody. Like my kids, don't, <laughs> my kids don't know who you are. Um, but a, a lot of people who are in the industry have, have heard of your name uh, and know a little bit about what you guys got going on. So uh, very good. Um, anything else before we wrap up that you want to hit on with cost segregation or maybe even social media? Um. Is there anything else? I mean, there, there is really so much, there is so much more. So I'm not going to, you know, pretend to like pack it all into this episode. You yeah, have to really you educate yourself. You have to educate yourself. You have to try to continue learning, asking questions, right? Yeah. Being humble enough to admit that you don't know everything because nobody knows everything. And that's the best way to learn is when you're open to learning um, and saying, asking, asking the right questions. So, um, you know, you can check me out on LinkedIn, right? That's where I'm most active, Bigger Pockets as well. Facebook, I'm a little getting a little bit involved um, in there as well. But, you know, please connect with me if you have any questions about it. Uh, if you want that specific, uh, you know, uh, analysis on your property, if you have one, even if it's under contract, you're just thinking about, you know, it, it's a great opportunity to see what the potential benefits would be. And, um, yeah, like I said, hope, hope I can... Uh, add value. So I got a couple questions. I ask all of my, um, anybody who I'm interviewing. And so I want to ask you those questions. We've directed this a lot different than in my normal interviews, but, um, what's your favorite, what's your favorite book, real estate or business related? Um, so business related, I actually just picked up again, uh, the 10x rule. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's my favorite book, but there's a lot of value in it. I definitely, I don't agree with everything that Grant Cardone says, but there is tremendous value um, and inspiration in that book to kind of take, to push yourself beyond your comfort zone, which is, which is the best way to grow. So I'm not going to say it's my favorite, but since you, I just picked it up again, I will, uh, I'll mention it. Yeah, no, definitely a good book. Like you said, it's, it's a Grant Cardone book. So you got to take some things and throw it out, but there is a lot of good content in it. Um, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? Three pillars of wealth creation. So I think the first pillar of wealth 
is, and I'm not even sure what this question means, but I'll interpret it. <laughs> interpret it how you want. That's the beauty of the question. Yeah, because I don't see wealth um, as as uh, monetary, right? That's Perfect. that's a very you know tiny aspect of it, and in fact, uh, a much less aspect, a small probably on, on the smaller spectrum of of what real wealth is, because. You know, a real wealthy person is someone who is content with what they have, which means I'm not looking for, for another thing. And, you know, in Proverbs from you know, the wisest of all men, right? King Solomon said, if a person has a hundred, he wants 200, right? If, if you have something and you reckon you're looking at that, you, you always are going to want more. Yeah. And so, you know, being content with what you have and uh, that's, that's the greatest wealth that you can have. So being happy, happy with, with who you are, happy with what you have, um, pushing yourself beyond your comfort zone is really the next level of wealth. Because when you realize what your potential is and that we are created with infinite potential. So then the real wealth is coming, you know, on top of once you've realized, you know, I'm happy with what I have. I am totally content with, you know, how God created me, but I know that I have ultimate potential and infinite potential. So that will push me beyond my comfort zone to try to, you know, create, to try to give, to try to, to do for the world. Um, you know, whether it be yourself, your family, friends, etc. out there. So those, those are the two pillars, you know, the two main pillars. The set, the third pillar is really, um, is knowledge, right? Because, knowledge is what's going to take you everywhere and anywhere, right? The more you learn, right, the more power that you have. And I know it's kind of cliche, right? Like knowledge is power, but, but the truth is that knowledge, you know, knowing things or learning things, understanding things, and, and not just on a surface level, but actually delving deeper and pondering things um, can really develop you as a person and can develop your, your business, your career, your family life, everything, the more you know, the more you can you know, apply that. So I, I like to think of knowledge as not just book knowledge, but as applied knowledge. Yep. Yep. Uh, I love the answer. Um, you're, I'm right there with you. I mean, wealth is, as you said, monetary wealth is just one tiny little aspect. Um, and everything else is especially these things that you mentioned, um, contentment, pushing yourself beyond your limits and knowledge are way more valuable than any kind of monetary wealth you might uh, accumulate. Um, Really good. So I appreciate the time. Uh, How can our listeners get in touch with you and learn more about what you got going on or get a cost segregation study? The best way we mentioned before in LinkedIn, that's where you're going to find me most active there. Um, check it out. It's an incredible business platform. I like to think of it as like a, a 24 hour networking event. Perfect. So there's you know, millions of people all over the world and you can meet anyone, yeah. everyone. I literally, a friend of mine yesterday had a, had a complaint about Verizon. Okay. Verizon is a huge corporation, right? He had a complaint. It was a, it was a legitimate complaint to his billing and, and he posted about it on social media. A few hours later, the CEO of Verizon commented on his post 
and saying, wow. what, you know, how, what can we do to, you know, to, to rectify this and make, you know, try to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And, and literally like his office reached out to, to this person and like offered him as a gift, like, you know, an iPhone or like a iPad or something like that as, as a gift. And all, obviously to rectify this situation when his billing was messed up, but that's the power of social media, right? Mm -hmm. Of networking that this could never happen, right? You couldn't call up, um, you know, a fortune 500 corporation and like, yeah. hey, I want to talk to the CEO because I have a complaint. <laughs> yeah, no, right. It will never happen. <laughs> right. No. But here with through the power of this networking platform, you can connect to anyone and everyone around the world. That's amazing. Yeah, that, so that's an amazing story. Perfect. All right. Well, I appreciate the time again and uh, tons of value you were able to add to our audience. And if you got questions about Kaseg, uh, you're the man. So appreciate it, Yona. And you have a fantastic rest of the day. All right. Thanks, Todd. I appreciate it. A special thanks to Yona Weiss. Appreciate him joining us on the show and the value he's able to add to us. And uh, just took a lot of great things out of the episode. If you have a property, do cost segregation. It makes so much sense to do it. Or at least reach out to somebody like Yona and see if it's a right fit for you and your property and your investors, potentially, if you have investors on the deal. Uh, three key things I took from Yona, uh, other than the cost segregation, of course, if you've, if you've got a property that has cost segregation, like you said, you've got to reach out. But three things I took is, is be content with what you have. That's, uh, and I think that's so important. We always oftentimes want more. We see what other people have. Uh, it's kind of an ego thing, but be content with what you have and be okay with it. Then the next thing is push yourself beyond your boundaries that you have right now. Push yourself even farther and, and know the talents and know what you've been given and to be able to take that and push yourself beyond your comfort zone. And then the last thing he talks about is knowledge and talks about knowledge being power and, um, and you know, making sure that you get yourself where you need to go educate yourself. Um, and of course, listening to podcasts like this and, and other podcasts and reading books is what we really need to do to, to get that knowledge. So again, appreciate you being on the show and spending time with us. Very valuable information. Uh, thanks a lot. Have a great day. Make every day Saturday. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. couple things before we go. Again, go on to our Facebook page, Pillars of Wealth. We'd love to have you on there. Go on to iTunes. Give us a rating and review and subscribe to the show. Also, um, you know, don't forget, reach out to me if you want any help with uh, potentially growing your business and reach out to John Styles to help you buy or sell real estate. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Have a fantastic the rest of the day. And as I say, make every day a Saturday. <laughs>